This episode of the podcast is brought to you by HRH Combat Arms. They can turn your vision into reality. They specialize in gunsmithing and Cerakoting. Your Cerakote specialist is Air Force veteran and retired police sergeant Paul Ware, a.k.a. the Sarge. He can Cerakote your firearms, auto parts, tools, even your sports equipment. And then your master gunsmith is Marine veteran Steve Miller. This veteran-owned business is located at 5025 Saunders Suite, 103, Fort Worth, Texas, 76119. You can call them at 682 0363 and you can find them online at www.hrhcombatarms.com that's www.hrhcombatarms.com all right welcome back to cops one donut i am your host eric levine and today i have a special guest with me mr kurt correct correct white or white 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 just like the color not spelled like that but just like the color okay yeah i knew it was spelled kind of funny um and today uh let's see it is december 30th 2021 this is gonna be the last podcast for this year um so in 2021 this is the 40th episode. I started kind of mid-year, about April, and I've kept going. This is, it Good keeps job. growing and growing, so. Good job. Um, appreciate it. Uh, I had one of my, our mutual friends, Charles Clark, reach out, and he's like, hey, I got a guy. I think you should have him on the show. He's got a lot of good info, and you guys will have a good discussion. Right. You know, the, the typical stuff when people suggest guests to me. Um, I'm always a little bit leery when people volunteer themselves to me like i'll get these messages hey i'll be a good guest on your show it's not that i'm totally opposed to that but if you don't know the person and they're they're saying that then because this is my house so i'm I'm inviting people into my home but i trust charles charles is going to be on the show eventually really yeah we keep trying to work it out but um that'll be an interesting conversation he's a busy guy but you also you've got a lot of stuff going on and i don't want to mention i'll let you talk about it i know you got the leo.org thing going on too was that correct uh was that you no that wasn't you no okay i got charles. a lot going on but not leo.org okay i thought it was something like that um charles had said something like so what you're referring to is myself and charles and a few other members we are starting a not-for-profit oh. d- designed to help uh veterans law enforcement first responders both active and retired uh for PTS. Oh, so that may be what you're remembering. That, that's probably what he was talking about. Yeah, and he, and he, he through text. Yes, and he he is part of that group. Okay. So we're right in the formative stages of that. We've had a few meetings, uh, had some meetings with the attorneys and the accountants about trying to move forward with it. But okay. That's probably what you're remembering. Okay. Okay, that makes sense. All right. So, Kirk, first off, um, tell people about yourself. Where are you from? Um, how did you get to the point you're at in your life right now? Well, it's kind of a interesting story. I grew up in upstate New York. And You're from, a Yankee. Yeah. <laughs> and so from the time I was about 15 years old, I started working in a veterinary hospital. Knew at a really, really early age that that's what I wanted to do. And uh, grew up in the Niagara Falls area and okay. uh, started working in a veterinary hospital at age 15. Fast forward about 49 years, um, virtually uninterrupted in the veterinary medicine field. Uh, I ended up uh, going to A&M. 
graduating, going back to the clinic that I had been at since I was 19 years old, ultimately purchased that clinic and recently retired this year after 49 years in, in a veterinary hospital. You didn't want to round it to 50? <laughs> no. Well, yeah. And in fact, uh, you know, I'm still, I'm still doing relief. Yeah. So, and that's been minimal. And uh, I still get, you know, calls from clients that I've had for years and years. And I can't go into the school or whatnot without people approaching me. So it's, it's still, it's still in my blood yeah, <laughs> for sure. So I'm from Michigan. Um, and there's a show from Michigan of a vet. Right. I can't think of the name. Well, of there's it. several of them. There's like, that Dr. Pole and that might be him. Yeah, the old, the older like, guy, old dude. Yeah. 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 And he's always just teasing his son who right. kind of does the vet stuff and doesn't, but my kids love that show. Right. But yeah. That's right in the pretty near where I grew up. Um, I can't remember the city he's out of, but yeah. I'd, so that, that gave me kind of a interest in the veterinary side of things but they I mean you you probably handled in New York all sorts of animals well see I left New York when I was 19 years old oh so So, you did all that here yeah so what happened was um I just finished my freshman year of college so this would have been 1976 okay and uh my dad called and said hey listen uh, Bell Helicopter is sending us to Tehran Iran but we're going to be in Texas for probably a year a year and a half just been accepted to be an RA. It was going to save us a ton of money. So I said, I'll tell you what, why don't I stay up in New York? I'll finish my sophomore year in college here, and then I'll come down to Texas. Well, the the Shah was overthrown. The helicopter contract left, Bell Helicopter. But my dad ended up staying down here. So ultimately, I came down here at the end of my second year of college, got into A&M, finished my undergraduate degree at A&M in 1979, got into vet school in 79, graduated in 83. But since 1977, I had been working at an animal hospital here in Bedford, ultimately came back to that clinic after graduation, ultimately bought that practice, and then ultimately retired from that practice. Okay. So the question that people are going to wonder because most of the time, not every time, I try to get as many non-cops on here as I can lately because I think I've done my fair share of the show so far with Ellie. Right. Um, I've had one firefighter, you know, I've had some prosecutors, defense attorneys, a mayor, um, working on getting a judge, um, so corrections officer. So I'm hitting all sides of, you know, our first responders and stuff like that. Right. Um, I want I even want to get some medical and some teachers because I think that they're more on the front lines than most people give them credit for. And I want sure. to get their side of the story. So I want to get a dispatcher. Um, so I'm, I'm totally all up and down the CJ side of things, but it's very rare to get somebody on the other side of the house or somebody that's just not a, related to it. So how are you related to the LE side? Cause you're hooked up with Charles and stuff like that. Right. So. So here's where it becomes very interesting. Okay. So about 30 years ago, um, I saw a need to try and help a child. And it was my own son that was born with some medical conditions. And I saw some some struggles for him later in life. And I thought that uh, martial arts would be a good way for me to help him. Mm-hmm. Improve his confidence, uh, clarity in his life, um, you know, give him some self-esteem issues, uh, help with some self-esteem issues and things along that line. So I had done a little bit of martial arts as a kid and, and thought that that would maybe be an avenue that I would want to pursue for him. 
So I had a veterinary client who was a Jeet Kune Do instructor. Um, okay. Not from, I don't know how familiar you are with Jeet Kune Do, but that's, that's Bruce Lee's art. Yeah. So I approached him and I said, hey, listen, you, you know the situation with my son and uh, I would like for us to take private lessons from you. And he said, you know, how old is he? And he was like three at the time. So he says, well, no, he's, he's too young. I don't, I don't want to uh, pursue that. And I said, well, you know, I, I, I feel that this would be something that would really help him. Fast forward, he comes in another couple of times into the clinic. And then finally, uh, after the third no, I said, you know, what would you do if that was your son? What would you do to try and help him? And kind of made it a little bit more of a personal thing with mm -hmm. him. And he had this long pause, looked at me with the deer in the headlight look. And he said, when do you want to start? So that's what started my journey in, in martial arts, or at least, uh, you know, rekindled it from, from the little bit of judo I did as a kid. So then now, uh, in 2009, uh, already teaching or already at, at my black belt level, uh, myself and another black belt are teaching Jeet Kune Do in the HEB school district. Um, my instructor at the time is often in Russia at this point in time. And so we're carrying on the art and keeping things rolling here in the HEB area. He comes back from Russia and I approach him in 2009 and I say, you know, I really want to take Jeet Kune Do to a different level. Basically, when the shit hits the fan, how am I going to, you know, employ my art? And his advice to me at that time was, I recommend that you seek out a guy. He is responsible for the Rapid Assault Tactics Program for SEAL Team 6. He's in California. And I think if you want to go down that path, um, that that is who you need to approach and, and who you need to try and, and study with. So I literally pick up the phone, call this guy and say, here's my situation. Here's what I'm trying to accomplish. Here's my background. Here's my story. And he said, you know, how, how, how soon can you get out to California? So that started my, my journey. In 2010, I was in California training with him and ultimately uh, became associated with that organization where I met my current instructor, instructor who is still in California. So as I started getting involved in the rapid assault tactics, I, I saw a tremendous application for that in law enforcement and also in military applications. So I thought maybe that's something that I would really like to do. So I came back and I thought, well, if I'm going to pursue this, maybe I should probably have my own school. So I started uh, in actually on Bedford Euless Road in Hearst, opened up a small uh, shopping center type of environment there. We grew out of that facility, moved down the street a little bit, ultimately in 2014 purchased the, the location, the building for the school that I have now. But what, to, to answer your question about the law enforcement, um, I had everybody and their brother telling me it's going to be very, very difficult for you as a civilian with no military background, no law enforcement background to get into that to where you're going to be teaching. Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of saw that as a lot of other times in my life where somebody would say, you know, maybe you're not going to do something or it's probably not going to happen or whatnot. And uh, so I started talking to my instructor and I said, you know, I really would like to get involved with law enforcement. So uh, I was included in some teaching situations where we were doing law enforcement seminars, both in the United States and, and ultimately we, we got to India. And when I was in India, 
I was approached by, we were working, we did a, a Jeet Kune Do seminar. We did a women's self-defense seminar. We did training for their military and special forces. And while I was there, I was approached by a Jeet Kune Do instructor from Sri Lanka. Okay. And so this gentleman came to me and said, would you be interested in coming to Sri Lanka the following year? So this would have been 2014. So he was talking about coming to Sri Lanka in 2015. And we would like to pretty much duplicate what was done in India. So in 2015, I was in Sri Lanka doing a two-day Jeet Kune Do seminar for his students. I mm-hmm. uh, did a women's self-defense seminar, and we worked with their military and special forces. And so I was invited back in 2017, and we did another whole, pretty much a duplicate of that, did a seminar for his students, worked with uh, women's self-defense, and then I also worked with their military and special forces. And then I was invited back in 2019 and had an opportunity to work with their special task force, which is a division of their police, um, predominantly guarding dignitaries. Uh, they call them the VVIPs. So that would be the equivalent of our Secret Service covering our, our president and other dignitaries. And um, also we focused a lot on the undercover narcotics division of the special task force. Okay. So, so that's a little bit of background uh, from the martial arts standpoint and, uh, you know, how I got into law enforcement. A couple of years ago, I was approached by a student of mine, and he said, would you be interested in teaching at the police academy? And so I thought about that, and I thought, well, you know, what exactly is taught out there? Is it going to be aligned with what I teach? And so I said, what I would like to do is come out and just watch, you know, watch some of the classes, um, watch the Red Man program. And uh, that was a couple years ago, and, and I got hired out there. I, I work in the DT section, of course, uh, predominantly ground fighting, focus okay. on that. So before you go, there, keep going, there's two things I want to touch on. One, Red Man. What, what yeah. he means by Red Man is somebody dresses up in a padded suit it's a big red the color of the suit so we call it red man so in a red man scenario the trainee the recruit whatever you want to call them their job is to affect some sort of arrest that will involve a use of force on the red man so they're gonna it could be something basic where they just comply and they put their hands behind their back and do something like that or it could be super dynamic where they're throwing leg kicks knees punches but it basically protects the guy in the red suit because they're about to get beat up and that's the whole point um is so that we can us as instructors can evaluate that they're using effective techniques or they're you know they're they're doing anything at all where you can approach how they talk to people and things of that nature um and then what was the other part i want to say um DT stands for defensive tactics. So if you're wondering what DT instructor is, it's defensive tactics, or you'll hear us say CT, which is control tactics. Uh, It's just verbal judo that needs to be PC. So they change it every 10 years. It was defensive tactics. Now it's control tactics. And I'm sure they're going to drop the word tactics and change it to something else. Matter matter of time. Yeah. So I'm sorry. Keep going, sir. So uh, that's, that's pretty much it. Um, you know, I, I recently John Madden passed, and I, I read a quote where he said, you know, I went from player to coach to broadcaster and never worked a day in my life. And that's exactly how I feel because I've had two career paths, 
completely different, but there's never been a day that I have not been excited to do either one of those careers. Yeah. And uh, there's a lot of people, uh, you know, I, in veterinary medicine, you know, I had an, uh, an opportunity to be across the table from a lot of people over a lot of years. And Eric, if I heard once, I heard it a thousand times, you know, I hate my job. I can't stand the people that I work with. I hate my boss. I'm sick and tired of the drive to Dallas every day and sitting in traffic. And I'm sitting there absorbing that thinking, you know, I am so blessed to do what I do because there's never been any of that. I, I've had wonderful people to work with, both yeah. in, in veterinary medicine as well as in, in martial arts. And I've been super, super blessed to be able to do what I feel truly I was meant to do. And a lot of people go throughout their entire life never figuring out what their chief aim is. They never figure out who they are. They never figure out what they're meant to do. And they're miserable because they're, they're aligned with a paycheck or they're aligned with the, the comfort of knowing that the bills are taken care of and, and they're just going through life with this status quo level. And it, that's never been the case for me. Yeah. Ever. So, um, I've got a big background in jujitsu, um, judo, and, uh, I've dabbled in boxing. Um, I never anything like just, just training on the bag with people that know what they're doing. So, right. um, it, I don't know Jack about Jeet Kune Do other than what I've seen on movies, yeah. um, watching the Bruce Lee story, um, watching things like that. How, in your opinion, how well is it, uh, integrating with police side i get the side for special forces military stuff like that where it's the the use of force is a lot less scrutinized because you're fighting an enemy we're here we're not fighting an enemy we're just trying to keep society peaceful yeah it's a really good question and i think that it is what has caused me to remain in this art there's plenty of arts out there and 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 i incorporate jujitsu into my training as well and i think the big difference is if we look at some of the specific arts whether it be boxing muay thai jujitsu uh wrestling a lot of these arts tend to focus in one range of combat so if we think about if if we think about different ranges we think about kicking range we think about punching or striking range We think about trapping range, we think about standing grappling, and we think about ground grappling. So the application to law enforcement, there's some of it that is philosophy-based, and we'll get into that here in a little bit. And the other has to do with what exactly is law enforcement confronted with day in and day out? Are they dealing with somebody in a particular range? Are they dealing always with one person to deal with? Is there a potential for mass attack? And then, of course, the, the range that we haven't even mentioned is a range that may occur when a weapon is involved. So there's, there's long, intermediate, and close range, and there's different weapons configurations, and everything that can be picked up in one or two hands can be put into one of those configurations. So how does that apply? So first of all, if you are a black belt in jiu-jitsu, and you think that the answer is take that person to the ground and put him in some sort of submission, but you do not take into consideration that that person that you are going to the ground with may have an edge weapon tucked in the back, mm-hmm. and you don't see the draw. 
your jujitsu goes out the window because now you have a blade stuck in the side of your chest. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you never train for that, if you never train for even the mindset part of dealing with that, you know, there's fight, there's flight and there's freeze. And you could easily get caught in, in that loop where you get to that point And you know, what in the hell am I going to do when a knife presents itself? So there's, there's that side of it. Yeah. The other, the other side of it is, I think that in my training, especially with my current instructor, um, there is an emphasis to approach your training to include mindset. And so I think this is a missing link. And one of the reasons that I really wanted to, to share this with you is I think that there needs to be more discussion on how can we include mindset in the training of a law enforcement officer. Yeah, you're absolutely right. The difference between special force training, military training is completely different. That's that's a completely different agenda. We have a different level of force. We have different things that we have to worry about. We're not scrutinized by the public. We don't have the interference of the media. We don't have people passing judgment on what's going to keep us safe and what we can do and not do that have never been in a damn confrontation in their entire life. So Mm -hmm. it's a different scenario. So how can we prepare law enforcement personnel to leave their house in the morning in an abundant state of energy without exhaustion, not taking their problems with them in in a state of calm, in a state of hyper awareness versus they leave their house running behind, they're exhausted, they are dealing with problems that unfortunately are coming with them that day because they were unresolved they're depleted in their energy and and there's ways of doing that there's there's ways of doing that in such a way that it's like a muscle you can learn it but a lot of people don't emphasize it but i think the philosophy of of bruce lee and how i bring jeet kune do into the law enforcement is that's something that i think about regularly with my training mm-hmm. and the same thing is you know if you look at law enforcement, military, first responders, look at the problems. Look at the reason why Charles and I are trying to help people. The the divorce, suicide, depression, alcoholism, other addictions. I mean, it's it's not a flat line, Eric. It's it's like a very steep curve. So how can we come back at the end of the day and not bring our problems, not bring the stress of that job with us Mm -hmm. to to uh, how, how can we filter that so that we are not integrating that into our family life and, uh, you know, ca- causing us to, to have a lot of problems that we're, we're bringing up because of a, a very, very high stressful job. Yeah, it's one of those things, because um, I told you about my wife and I have been together 16 years, you right. know, coming up a couple of days, and uh I won't say that I've discovered the secret for everybody, but I've discovered the secret that works for us. Now, you, I don't, you may agree, disagree, but there is no one fix for the, the PTSD stuff with police and military and all that stuff. But you have to give as many tools in that toolbox as you can give to help combat it throughout their career, which right. goes into what you're talking about with mindset and stuff like that. Um, you know, so for us, I, I saw that writing on the wall before I ever got into this career. So 
one of the first things that I did was I made the the conscious decision that I was never going to hide anything from her of the bad stuff I saw. If it bothered me, she's going to know about it. That's it was just my method of figuring that out. And it's worked. Just that one thing alone has really helped out. Uh, and then other avenues, teaching, you know, teaching, you know, rookie officers and stuff like that, just kind of passing down some knowledge, like things like that has helped me deal with my own issues. And I don't really have any issues that I know of. Um, I'll get triggered every once in a great while by something random. Um, and I'll tell now still I'll tell my wife, I'm like, Oh my God, they just really depressed me. And it made me flash back to this incident. And, you know, and she was like, geez, I'm glad I'm not a cop. I'm like, well, you're about to be a nurse lady. You're about to see some bad stuff too. So right. yeah. <laughs> um, she's going to go on to labor and delivery. That's what she wants to do. Um, but she'll see some drama there. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, but it, it goes into, I, I like that you talked about, you know, the alcoholism, the divorce rate and all that, all that stuff, because education is the best way, the best tool we have uh, for those just starting out because experience is going to teach us a lot as we keep going. But education right there in the academy, if we can let them know like, hey, this is, these are, your guys are going to be stuck on midnights. Guess what your diet's going to be? It's going to be fast food or hopefully you're smart enough to pack your lunch because nutrition is going to be a big thing. You're not going to see the sun very much. Right. So now your cortisol levels are going to skyrocket. Yeah. Testosterone's going to drop. You're going to get home and you're going to flatline. You're going to just, you're not going to want to do anything. Like living in Portland. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're going to be, you know, just in a slump. It's what it's going to feel like when you get home, you're going to be like, I don't want to do anything. You just want to be a couch potato. And that's going, if you have a family, that's going to affect them because when you go to work, you're way up here. Why? Because you're vigilant. You're you're at this hyper vigilant state. You're with your friends, you know, that you do the same job with every day and you got to protect each other and you got to protect the public and you got to look out for, you know, anybody that's out to get somebody in uniform. You never know what the next traffic stop's going to be. And this is how your training's taught you over and over and over again that, you know, these are high risk things. You need to be on edge. You need to understand. And then you get home and then you're, you're just done. But somebody calls you up from work and then all of a sudden the energy comes back because right. your mind, you don't know it, but your mind goes back to work, even though you're not at work. And then your spouse sees that and your spouse is like, why are you so, you know, you don't want to do anything with your family. And as soon as one of your friends call, all of a sudden you're up here, you know, you're all excited. Right. That's if you don't teach our officers this stuff before they become officers, they're not going to understand that. And that's going to start causing the problems. And then once this, once the roots start to die off, that's when the alcoholism, we start trying to compensate. Um, you know, when we work nights, it's harder to get into Kundo class or jujitsu class or right. whatever it is that we're trying to do to keep up our, you know, physical fitness and mental acuity when we're at work and stuff like that. So the, the mental aspect is, I think it's coming, it's climbing where the awareness is there. Um, with the major departments and I'm hoping that trickle effect starts hitting the smaller departments. Cause I don't think the big departments are a problem. Um, one of the things that I do, we, I don't mention where I work on the show. I try to keep it separate, but at the place I work, um, w mental toughness and, and all of that is a major part of the Academy training. You're never out of the fight. You're always in it. 
you know, you're always looking out for your brothers and sisters. You, you know, if you see a problem, report it, you know, things of that, like that. And one of the things that we do is we put them through like their second week. Like they, for all intents and purposes, they get their ass kicked in a way, um, safely. So we, I'm not sure how they do it at the academy that you've been at, but we'll physically exhaust them and then, you know, doing cardio and sure. you know stuff like that, Metcons. And then we bring them in. They get three minutes on the ground with an instructor, um, and they see just how deep the water goes on the mats. Right. And then as um, soon as they're done with that, then they jump over to a boxing ring, and they fight a classmate, same size and weight. You know, we try to get it as close as we can. Um, they're so spent by that time. But And then we basically judge who fought better, the better fighter has to keep going because we want the person that's too gassed or, you know, just didn't get the better of it to get a chance to catch his breath for a second. But then they fight against an instructor and there's no time limit on that. We just want to see We're we're checking to see, are they still trying to think? Are they still, you know, are they so exhausted? Are they just rolling over? Are they giving up? Like, and then we show them, we are recording the whole time. And then we show them that later. Like, look, you were exhausted. You thought you were done. You got tagged by the instructor. You're on the ground and you learned that you're not out. You're, you're not made of glass. You're not going to, not going to die. So stay in the fight. It's a, and like I said, it's a tool for us as instructors. See who's already got heart. See who we may have to try to instill some confidence to get heart to and understand. Point. And, yeah. um, and then it's twofold for the recruits because now they, they realize, man, I, I went through the ringer, you know, as safely as possible. It's not going to be the same in the street necessarily, but gives them a good cue to see where they're at and how much work they think they need to do. Or it may be a wake-up call. We've had a lot quit. Right. No, no, this ain't for me. This this isn't my cup of tea. And uh, I've got more respect for a person that's able to do that than they go through the academy and they get out in the police life and then they're like, oh, no, this ain't for me. You know, they, they knew well before, but they... They wanted a job rather than a career. So, um, but yeah, I'm with you, man, on the, on the, just the, the mental aspect of police, not just policing, but life in general. Absolutely. And, and, you know, you, as you were talking, it made me think about another thing that, that is incorporated in that. And we work really, really heavily with them on understand the importance of them managing their breath. So, uh, we'll open up a, a law enforcement seminar or a military seminar with a, a drill. We'll give the participants uh, a rubber baton, and we will tell them for knife to knife spar for a three-minute round. That's all we tell them. Okay. And because they are doing something that is unique to them, and because their mind is telling them that that rubber baton is a knife, most of them will have a tremendous mismatch between their O2 and their CO2. Oh, yeah. So they're either hyperventilating or hypoventilating. And both of those, as you know, are patterns that are not sustainable over a long period of time. So you can be the best martial artist in the world, or you can be the best boxer, or you can be the best on the ground. But if you do not know how to remain calm 
and you do not know how to manage your breath and stay in the present moment, you are going to gas out. So this is something else that I don't think people put enough emphasis on. I I never hear anybody talking about it in the academy. Um, We do. I do. And I think it's important because uh, if they can remain calm and avoid panic, they're already way ahead of a lot of the other people out there. Now, if they can stay in the present moment and not worry about what is yet to be or what has already happened and manage their breath, that's, that's a whole different game for them. Yeah. Typically the way that I put it to our guys is um, confidence creates safe officers. Sure. Um, Unconfident officers means you're, poorly trained you're not trained to a level that you're confident you're not confident in your own training and when you're not confident in your own training hesitation starts um, and breath control and all that stuff just starts to go out the window because now like you said flight or fight or freeze um, are all three factors that are probably going to happen and that zero to five year officer is the most susceptible to that type of scenario so with good training and continuous training because you've been doing academy, you know, as an instructor, I've been an academy instructor three years. Um, what you get in the academy is a good start. Yeah. But you ain't done. No, you're not done. No. If you're not, these are all perishable skills. Um, you know, I've been out of jujitsu now probably two years. I can tell you right now as I'm a mid- mid-level belt, purple belt, I'll probably be a purple belt for life because I, I have a busy life right now yeah. and I can't, dedicate the time that it takes to get ranked up but if i go in there right now today and shoot you know there's probably some high level white belts you know blue belts that would have a field day with me yeah and I, you've I, done nothing to maintain over the last yeah, couple of years because it's a perishable skill exactly um and you know i i try to keep my mind fresh on that but i still watch you know like brandon McCaffrey, and he's one of my favorite instructors out in alabama it's a 10th planet school i think i watch him quite a bit and all the stuff he's got going on but there's a mental aspect to keep some sort of sharpness you know mm-hmm. still see that it's like a kata for the mind right and um and uh that's ways that i try to keep my skills up when i know i can't make it to the gym but um as far as the police side of things for you, um, as an instructor, I know I've learned, like I've incorporated my jujitsu to, I've got the benefit of, you know, 17 years of law enforcement behind learning jujitsu. So when I teach it and the way that we teach it, it's law enforcement oriented where we still have that, you know, long intermediate short range, um, If I'm in close, I'm going to stay in close type thing. But Mm -hmm. if I'm mid-range or distance, jujitsu is not my friend at that time because I can get caught coming in. That's not a risk I want to have when I got a gun belt on. You know, they get they'll have access to all my Batman tools if I'm wrong. Exactly. Or if I screw up. So um, you're right. We need to have different tools for different scenarios. And how much effort do you think it takes for an officer keep that sharpness going I, I think a lot because you know the the vast majority of them probably 98 percent of them leave the academy and there's no additional training right and, or you'll get and, maybe a 40-hour class you know maybe what's required of the agency but very very few do we see actually go on 
and and do something to to maintain that skill and like you said it's a perishable skill with respect to the ground um you know i we have to include that in the training but as a law enforcement officer i don't want you going to the ground for all the reasons that yeah. you can think of and then some more. Yep. So, you know, you've got the ground inhibiting your movement. You've got the, the duty belt and all of that tools. That person has access to those tools if they get in close proximity to you. You don't know what weapon they have on them. There's no ref. There's no time limit. There's no rules. Mm-hmm. And how about Johnny bringing some of his buddies that you don't see coming up yeah. on your six? Yep. You know, the, the mass attack situation. So for you to go to the ground is, you know, not something. But yet at the same time, sometimes to control somebody, if you're already in close, that may be the, the best and safest thing to do. And then utilize your tools once you get that person to where you can manage them. And it's not a one size fits all. I mean, let's face it, a, a, you know, a five foot three female officer is not going to have the same tools available to her that somebody that is you know uh, 220 pounds uh, in very very good shape and, and also has training yeah but we can train the mindset of that person we can give them ways to solve problems mm-hmm. and they're going to be different than maybe how i would solve a problem or how how you would solve a problem and and they may have to access their secondary tools more and utilize or less uh, more and and continue to utilize their primary tools. You know the the computer between their head and their their officer presence and their situational awareness and all of those type of things that are going to trump uh, the ability to uh, maybe have to to use some of these other more aggressive tools. But it's gonna it's not a one size fits all. And um, yeah. getting back to to Jeet Kune Do, you know, if we just focus on just the ground, well, what about the other ranges that we have to deal about? And then. What kind of training do we need to do? How can we best train that person to deal with those things? And I think it it really boils down to there, there's two types. You have to have self-perfection training. You have to have things that are going to develop your attributes, footwork, timing, speed, sensitivity, all of that. But then if you never field test that, if you never put that to... The functionality of how do I do this when I no longer have a cooperative training partner, I no longer have somebody holding an arm out or staying still while I do an arm bar to a takedown on them, mm-hmm. that's, that's not realistic because th- that'll go out the door if you can't do it under stress, if you can't do it under resistance, if you can't do it with people cussing, spitting, kicking, punching, and, and Johnny bringing some of his friends entering in. Yeah. So all of that has to be part of it. You have to have self-preservation training. What do you do when the shit hits the fan and you're in a, a confrontation? And then how are you going to develop your attributes to the point where you can have an advantage? Yeah. Yep. Um, I've I've made a, a idea, a plea out there because, like I said, you go through the academy and that's it. That's the bulk of your academy or your your control tactics, defensive tactics training, and you understand, I understand that that's a perishable skill and that you need to continue that. Um, and I tell people just at a minimum, if you can give an hour, two hours a week, uh, you know, cause people don't want to talk about this, but the, the training that people want from their police, there is barely enough time in, in, in their life to, you know, between that and family to, to accomplish all this stuff. 
um, and the resources it takes and, and stuff like that. So, you know, between doing enough for control tactics, let's say one to two hours a week minimum. And I would recommend more than that, especially your first few years. Um, and then you have cultural diversity training, you have CPR training, you have CIT critical, you know, um, what is that? Uh, crisis intervention training, mm-hmm. um, uh, drug interdiction training, um, human trafficking signs and symptoms, um, basic fire training, uh, medical training, self-aid buddy care training, um, using an AED training. It, the list goes uh, sexual harassment training. <laughs> I mean, I yeah. keep going and going and going, you know, um, uh, so you got all these classes. It's just constant legislative updates that happen. Um, you know, in-house training, the stuff that, you know, policies and procedures, you got to keep up on that. So you got all this training in a career field. That's kind of looked at as a blue collar, blue collar career field. That's hard to say. Um, so how do you, how do you get, how do you convince one? How do you convince people to be cops anymore? Especially with all the scrutiny they're getting. And then two, you, you really don't understand the amount of continuous training that you're trying to mandate. Yeah. And I can't legitimately <clears throat> expect officers to be proficient in a martial art um, in the field if there's no outlet provided by that department. And what I said was rather than, you know, spending X amount of dollars here, Get with your local community, find out your martial arts schools that the city approves of, you know, um, like in our academy, we, we do, we teach, you know, they teach boxing skills, leg, you know, using kicks, using punches, uh, some Muay Thai stuff thrown in there, some uh, jujitsu stuff thrown in there, judo, wrestling. There's, uh, you know, it's pretty much the spirit from what I understand of Jeet Kune Do, which was it, why, why limit yourself to one art? Let's bring them all in and take the best of everything. And that's kind of how we teach. And um, I want the department to say, all right, well, we're going to invest this amount of dollars and you'll have a attendance um, requirement that you have to meet with your first two years. And that will get you to a level that I think could carry you through your career. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I don't know if it's a real popular opinion, but to me, who I see the importance of officer safety and things of that nature and not just officer safety i'm sure you can attest to this as well a well-trained person can keep the bad guy safe 110 percent. so if i can keep him safe and alive and me safe and alive that's the best scenario because then i don't have to deal with any any fallout i don't want to have to go through fallout and people you know cops are out there just trying to hurt and kill people no the ones that i work with aren't and and it's one because they're good people they don't want that to happen but two it ain't worth it yeah, it ain't worth it. Why go through all that? I ain't trying to make my life harder. Yeah. Trying to go to work. That's a lot go to live home. with for a long time. Yeah, it's hard to get away. Well, I could I could talk an hour just commenting on <laughs> on some of what you just said, and right. I, I guess starting with, you know, why would somebody want to pursue a career in law enforcement? And from the outside looking in, especially from my vantage point, I would have to say, why on earth would somebody want to subject themselves to that at this point in time? And and it comes back to what I said a little while ago. You know, you've got you've got people that are criticizing you. You've got people that are judging you. You have people that are weighing in on what you should do 
and what you shouldn't do to try and keep yourself safe that don't have the first clue about what your job entails. The other thing is, if we look at the second part of your conversation, and that is opportunities for law enforcement personnel to get training, you're absolutely right. There is a entire list of what that would look like. And if we just take defensive tactics as a single piece of that ladder that you just talked about, I think the big victory is trying to figure out how we can take the apathy of these individuals and turn it around to where they truly see the need. How can we make them assassinate that part of their brain that tells them that they do not need that training? So we, one of the things that we do is any cadet that is in the police academy, while they're in the police academy, they can come and train at our school free of charge. Nice. We, we do that because we want to help them to install the neural pathways and have more reps trying to help them get there so that there's left, less of that active pause that when they have to go through Red Man, but not just Red Man. You know, what happens the day that they leave and they're with an, F, an FTO officer and they have never seen an event that's about to happen? You know, it's another opportunity. We also have a two-hour, every other Sunday law enforcement class, and we cover everything. We do ground, we do stand-up, and we do weapons. Why? Because that's what I believe we need for the street. And then if we never talk about mindset, if we never talk about staying in the present moment, if we ever talk about breathing, if we ever never talk about these things, then they're ill-prepared because there's still all of the other that goes along with that, that, that you so eloquently talked about. So I think a lot of it is there's plenty of opportunities. There's plenty of dojos. There's plenty of gyms where they could get training, but there's too many people that think when they leave the academy that they've had all the training that they need. And then when they get in their first use of force and they find that they don't know a thing about what to do, now they're scrambling. But still, sometimes those people don't go and seek out, you know, where, where's the source? Where, right. where am I going to find help getting myself more prepared? Yeah. And the, I don't mean to cut you off, but part of the issue with police work is you're dealing with alphas mm-hmm. for the most part. Um, it's the, the, the mentality type to do the job. Um, if you're not willing to be confrontational, then you're not going to do that job. You're not going to do it well and you're probably going to get hurt. Right. So alpha ego almost go hand in hand for the untrained mind. So when you, you've probably seen it a million times, you get that alpha that comes into the gym, comes into your dojo and they ain't top dog anymore. No. And they come in and they get humbled and they can't, the ego can't handle it. And yeah. then they never come back. Yeah. And I see that a lot with officers that they'll start, they'll come in and they'll either think that their past training or their minds, their idea of what they're capable of is nowhere near what they're capable of. And that, that turns them right off. They won't return and they won't go to another gym because they don't want to go through that, that humbleness portion that I think is one of the best benefactors of martial arts is because you're, you're practicing 
murder every day. You know, and it is the way I look at jujitsu. We're we're out there rolling, and I'm trusting you to, you know, be a good choke, choke, yeah, choke, snap, or tap me. Yeah. Uh, but in reality, what you're really doing is you're practicing breaking my bones. You're practicing right. choking me unconscious, killing me. You know, you could. I'm putting a lot of trust into you, and but at the same time, you're doing the same with me. And we're realizing that, you know, like, oh, man, you know, every time we tap, that was another, that like, I was done. And yeah. it just, it, it, I think it kills what exactly what you said, assassinates that part of your mind that shows like, okay, like, I got more work to do. I right. got more work to do. And then you keep rolling with the bigger sharks, the bigger sharks. And, and it, you just keep, that's how you start to progress. And it's amazing to watch the people that actually incorporate training and put emphasis on that. I've got a, a female officer that trains regularly at the school, uh, both privately and in a group setting. And she's been involved in three or four use of force uh, scenarios since she left the academy, did very, very good. And I think that it comes back to what you were saying. Sometimes the the level of confidence you have from your training causes you to be able to keep something from escalating to a point. And whether it be how you carry yourself, whether whether it be the the perception of the subject as they're they're hearing you deliver a message to them, whatever it is, I, I think that that is in part what we get from our training is the confidence that comes along with that. Be able to take and escalate your level of violence to deal with what's coming at you, but also to be able to ratchet that down. Yeah. I mean, how many times have we seen videos and albeit they may be portions of videos and we don't get to see the whole thing, but we, we don't have the ability to, once the threat is no longer there, to, to de-escalate. To dial it back, yeah. Yes, sir, dial it back. And this is something else that has, has to be trained. It has to be taught. It has to be practiced. Mm-hmm. And if, you, if you're not incorporating some of that into your training, it will never happen when it needs to. Yeah. So. Yeah. And it's and, also is they, we really need to hold instructors accountable. That's the big one with our instructors. Um, and not all departments have the luxury of having guys like you or guys like me and uh, i know all the guys that i worked with have some you know major level of a martial art or several martial arts or whatever like you know down where i'm at i have at least two black belts you know one in jujitsu one in um judo uh we had a, a marine um core boxer um he sure. could have went pro um so i mean we got all these different uh resources yeah resources available beautiful then you go to a smaller department and you know they're taking you know officer snuffy they're putting him through uh the gracie um combatives combatives, and they go to be you know train the trainer type thing or instructor school Mm -hmm. but that ain't enough yeah like that's not enough you don't you the 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 bad part about martial arts is it's not an overnight thing and yeah. it can't be. It's, it's a marathon. It's, 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 yeah, Not it's a it's, it's long. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm still learning. Yeah. You know, I still show up. I still do the things. And I'm constantly just like, oh my god. And that, we're talking years. I started in, in jujitsu in '06, and uh, so and that's just me as, a, as an officer learning this stuff. But and then coming out as an instructor, I start seeing other instructors, you know, from other counties and states and stuff like that. You know, doing joint training and stuff. And I'm like, these poor souls have, they don't know what they don't know. And now how, 
how do we get the message out to these instructors? Like, look, you need to instill these factors into these guys. Like it's teaching them the moves is great. And as long as they keep plugging away, they'll kind of understand it. But until you start focusing and, and emphasizing on mindset and why the why behind the things, the moves is one thing, but the why behind is everything. Yeah, we were talking the other day at the academy about, you know, we have a finite amount of time in the academy to expose them to a whole lot of information. Yeah. And if we look at PT, I'm sorry, um, PPCT, if we look at uh, defensive tactics, during the course of a 20 or 21-week program, there's only going to be so much time that we can start to implement some of those concepts. And, and there's going to be only so much that we can do to drill it, to rep it. Mm-hmm. But once again, if we come back to our conversation from before, we're doing that with a compliant training partner. We're doing that without resistance. We're doing that not really with movement. We're just trying to get the concept and get the basic idea. Yeah. And this is what people don't understand is, they, they, they kind of discover the cause of their own ignorance when they get out and realize that they, they really didn't know it because they've never functionalized it from the standpoint of how do I do this with stress? How do I do this with exhaustion? How do I do this with people that are not trying to help me accomplish this? And it's, yeah. a, different, it's a different training altogether. Yeah. Because in the academy, for those that don't know, um, one, the students are stressed all the time. Yeah. That doesn't make for a very good mind to, to absorb. It, it, it kind of narrows it, uh, opposed to doing some, some training on your own. Now it's your dime, your time. You're, you're more relaxed. You're, you're open to it, and you're spending your money to do it, so you're more apt to do better. Um, so that's another benefit of continuous training outside um but when you're in the academy you're so stressed out and then each academy is different everyone runs their academies different i hate block training because it's more apt to the problems that you're talking about you you don't get a chance to to have it amp amp it up show resistance um where where i work the academy is the entire length or the ct portion is the entire length of the academy we start day one you're on the mats you're we we start getting the basics, you know, fighting stances, um, all that. Yeah. So, uh, and it, and it continues and it, it's a progressive thing where by the end you're basically going through a, a f- scenarios that are full fights. It, it's protected, but you're getting full resistance. You're learning how to think through and you're realizing that just because you know a move doesn't mean you know a move right. because everybody's resistance is different and, and abilities are different. So, uh, it's important, like you said, if you're not getting that, but that block training stuff, you, you know, you do four, 12 weeks, whatever it is. And then you move on through the Academy and you never go back to, to yeah. that. It's stuff. hard to see it integrated. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard, hard to bring it all together. Yeah. And, but I, like I said, you don't know what you don't know. And if you've never seen an Academy that runs it from day one, all the way through, then it might not be something on your radar or, uh, if you don't realize the, like I said, if the instructors, again, we're going into that just because you have a certification doesn't make you. And just because you, you have a, you know, we've seen these McDojos out there. It doesn't, right. you, you got these people just 
handing out belts and mm-hmm. practicing stopping people with chi and all this crazy nonsense. Um, if you believe in chi stoppage stuff, come see me. I'll show you that it doesn't stop a fist. Um, so you got all these crazy people out there teaching stuff. And, you know, if you don't know when you're an officer and you're like, oh, go to this local school, it's fairly cheap. And then you think that crap's going to work. There's some, there's some voodoo and hoodoo out there, but there's yeah. also some, some, you know, good schools. And oh it, yeah. Whether it doesn't matter what art, just get doing something. Doing something. I mean, for some of these people, just the, the exercise, the physical aspect of it alone would help. Yeah. You know, we see a lot of Budweiser tumors in the law enforcement profession. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of apathy with regard to just general health and well-being. And, yep. and um, you know, so. I tell my officers, I'm like, you're going to be on midnights, buy a kettlebell. Mm-hmm. 20 pound, 35 pound. It doesn't have to be heavy. Sure. And when you're at a standstill in the middle of the night and there's nothing going Swing on, it. jump out of your car real quick, Swing knock it. out 10 minutes. Yeah. I promise you yeah. it's an ass whipping. Yeah. So, because you're not going to get time to do yeah. anything else. Yeah. So it's, it's a big deal. And you're right. I, nothing drives me more insane than when I pull up and see, you know, just a sloppy officer that, yeah. you know, let himself go, let himself go. Yeah. And, not going to work too good in a chase scene. No. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. And yeah. the, you'll hear some of the old school officers that, you know, they, I will say they've earned the belly. You know, they've been yeah. out there a long time and they're like, I don't need to chase nobody. I'm yeah. Like, and, and, yeah. You well, it's do. good if you're pushing paper. Yeah. Right. Maybe not so good in a patrol car. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that's what I say. I'm like, dude, you're still yeah. on the street. Yeah. Like, I don't care necessarily that you're going to be a liability to yourself. If that's what you want, because heart attacks are one of the top killers of cops. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I become a liability because I'm trying to save your ass yeah. or vice versa or whatever, like I, I'm that's no bueno with me. I don't like that. Sure. So, yeah, I'm not telling you. And, and I'm out of shape right now. I haven't worked out in like five months. I got the COVID at one point and then I just I couldn't get myself back yeah. to where I was at. So I'm trying to get back to it. <laughs> I knocked out some air squats and lunges and push-ups the other day. It's a start. And yeah, I'm letting the soreness kind of work itself out. That's a start. Yeah. So um, the other stuff you wanted to, you want to touch, you got more on that, or did you want to touch on the thing with you and Charles and all that? And dive well, It's up to you, man. You're running the show. Hey, hey I'm just a facilitator, sir. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I'm curious about that because I know Charles works a lot. Mental health, um and, and, and the PTSD and all that, that is a huge draw on this show. Like I, cause I'll ask members all the time, Hey, what are you guys interested? What, you know, what type of shows you want me to yeah. book? And, uh, top of the list every time mental right. health training, mental health, this mental health, that they, I don't. So where, where this came from is not only seeing the application from the law enforcement officers that I know, but also in my school. So I have a, I think he's 71-year-old submariner, Navy submariner. Okay. And he and I have become pretty close, and uh, he has shared some of his struggles, you know, post-leaving the Navy. Mm -hmm. I've got a 20-year Navy SEAL that is a, a student at the school, um, also helps me with the law enforcement class. Um, I train his son privately as well as in, in a group setting. So got to know him. And then I've got a mother 
of a young kid that I train who is a army veteran, lost a leg in combat. And then uh, we just added, of course, there's Charles. So he's got the, the law enforcement background, certainly saw his share of trauma and, uh, you know, brings that element of experience to it. So there was there was Charles. And then we recently added a, a retired firefighter. So we've got first responder, we've got military, and we've got law enforcement. The stories, as I hear these people talk, really, really tug at my heartstrings. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you, you cannot imagine the, the, the pain, the trauma that these people have experienced. And I would never, ever hope to... Um, begin to understand that because I've never been there. And I think in hearing their stories, you know, when people reach out, some of the people that are trying to help, whether it be a psychologist, whether it be a, a, a family therapist, whether it be a, a psychiatrist, you'll hear them tell these people, well, you know, I understand what you're going through. But they have no clue. Right. I mean, they have medical knowledge of how to help them. They have ways of giving them resources and tools, but never have their shoes been the same shoes. Right. And so as I started hearing these stories and I started being around more of these individuals, I started wondering what, what tools are available for these people locally. And I reached out to every one of those people that I just shared with you and said, would you be interested? I have a thought that I would like to start a 501c3 nonprofit organization and I want it to be in this area and I want to provide a safe environment for people that have been in this situation. First responders, law enforcement, military, whether they be retired or whether they be active, it doesn't matter. There's a problem and we we need to try and, and fix it. So that caused us to get together as a group and brainstorm, you know, what do, what do we want to do? How are we going to help these people? What resources would we do? How would we bring them together? What activities would, would we plan? And so we're like three or four meetings out. We've had, I think, about every six weeks, eight weeks of meeting, and I think we just completed our third one. I've met with uh, attorneys and accountants on how moving forward does this happen? Yeah. How, how do we start the business? How do we get the, the 501c3 status? But that's where we are, and um, I'm excited about it because not only the people that I'm working with, I have a, a tremendous affinity for these individuals, but their stories are unbelievably amazing. And and if if we can help one person, if we can save one person, if we can create an environment for one per- person to feel like they can come and be a part of an organization where the people in the room actually understand yeah. what they've been through, as opposed to maybe a medical personnel saying, you know, I, I understand where you're coming from, but they haven't been in combat. They haven't they haven't witnessed a, a tragic accident. They haven't held on to a child that's dying in a car wreck yeah. and and uh, somebody uh, trying to get somebody out of a burning house. You know, they haven't experienced any of that. And those are things that that are not going to, to leave you. They're imprinted in your brain and you hang on to the emotions that are tied in with them. And, you know, how do you deal with that? So what resources could we provide and how how can we come together as a group of people to to make this happen? And that's that's the uh, hopefully the victory down the road. Yeah. And that that's one of the, the arguments or 
reasons I, I tell people, because you pointed out, he's like, if you help just one person, that's it's it. worth it. It's absolutely worth and it. And that's why I do this. If it, if it helps one person, whether it's law enforcement or civilian side, I, it's worth your time. It's worth my time. So, yeah. um, I've had the awesome encounters of having people reach out to me from, uh, Washington State and Washington D.C. Those are the two farthest points. I had both people reach out to me from uh, about the same episode. It was kind of cool and talking about how they were. Um, there was an officer that was involved in a shooting. Uh, he's a sergeant now, but uh, officer or Sergeant Anderson's shooting, and he basically had a post traumatic issue while we were recording. He thought he's passed it. He, that's why he wanted to come on and talk. Well, yeah, I'll come on and talk about the shooting. Da, da, da. He's like, yeah, hopefully people can learn. And, and I then, think you should be very proud of that. I mean, yeah. you know, if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. And, and for you to be doing this, I think, is is an opportunity for you to be part of the solution for these people. Yeah. And and give give them the fact that, that you had those individuals reach out and be willing to share says a lot about the effect of what, what your program is doing. Yeah. I think it's great. It's definitely like, like you said, when you, I'm sure at your school, like when you start, you know, you see the light bulb go off. Mm -hmm. That's so satisfying as an instructor. Like, ah, yeah, he's getting it now. And and you see they're hooked, you know, like, Oh, okay. Okay. I can't do this. And you know, they're starting to build up the confidence. And that's so fun. I like watching the building process and, uh, you know, I've got guys that I got into jujitsu that just destroy me now. Like I can't hold it because they just they stuck with it and just went yeah. full bore, and it's awesome. Like yeah. for me, that's great. And <clears throat> I've had people reach out to me about the show. They're like, "Hey, I'm doing a podcast too. I hope you don't. I'm not trying to do like. I'm like, do exactly what I do. Mm-hmm. I don't care. Do exactly how I'm doing the show. It's another way to reach out it's to somebody. Another way because if people don't like me, but they like you, yeah." It's shoot. You can just take all the same guests I had. I don't mind. Yeah. I just want the message to get out there. I want to try to help people. That's it. So, uh, and, and, and share perspective and education, you know, there might be some people that watch us. Oh, Jeet Kune Do is bullshit. Okay. Um, it's all right. That's fine. But yeah. you know what? At least you got to hear why he does what he does and why, you know, yeah. all the mindset behind it. And yeah, I, I agree I, with everything you're saying. I don't sleep over those people. It, it, yeah, I know. I don't either. And it, it's the same people that have never done any sort of martial art ever. Right. And, yeah. uh, I, I've told, you know, I, I did the karate thing as a kid and I'll fully admit that the karate that I took when I was, you know, a kid was probably taught me just enough to get my ass kicked, but mm-hmm. it wouldn't be something, but I did take good tools from there. There was stuff that I could take from that. And it's the same with jujitsu. There's things that, you know, I'm not out there heel hooking people yeah. in the streets. I'm not going to do that. Um, it's great in a tournament, you know, it's a quick way to end, end a match, but I ain't using that. So when I do my training, I look for the stuff that I know applies to what I do in the field. Now I may get my ass kicked at school quite a bit, but that's because I refuse to train in stuff for myself on a free roll, you know, or a sparring match, whatever you want to call it. I refuse to train in something that I know I'm not going to do in the street because it will put me in a bad bad way right you know so um you know i try not to be on my back i try to have top control the best i can so i've got a quick out if i need to you know and uh because it's a good plan i think it's a great plan (laughs) (laughs) you know neon belly is my favorite technique transition to a safer place yeah and switch to my batman belt if i need run yeah i tell people all the time like it's a tactical retreat 
Right. You're not running. You're not stopping and leaving yeah. the situation completely. But if you're out of the fight, now who's going to defend the public? Yeah. So, you know, sometimes you got to do a tactical retreat to reassess and, and come back and do what you got to do. So don't be afraid to run away. I've had a guy with a knife. I just walked, a, I walked around my patrol car. That's the best plan run. Yeah. Yeah. He had the knife out. I had plenty of distance. Yeah. I, you know, he's probably 60 feet away when I saw the knife. Mm-hmm. And I immediately went behind my car. Um, getting in my car wasn't an option at the time because I would have had to get my key. I had locked the door. Right. Um, so I had to get my key out. So I just stayed on the car. And then he starts approaching, and I just, I'm like, he's not going to get to me. And as soon as he tries to jump on the car, he's getting tased. Yeah. Because then I know I had time, you know. I, we try train people like a knife is a deadly force situation. Sure. Just have your gun out. Right. But, yeah. Knife equals gun. Yeah. yeah. So there's, there's situations that, you can assess because your eyes on the ground, and if you're confident in your training, like I said, transition. Use your taser if you feel confident, but just be aware if it fails that you need to be ready. So because they do fail, but um, no, I your program. Uh, I like I like that. Are you guys? Is it like a? Is it going to be a website? Is it going to be the like? What's the? So the name of the group that we've chosen is Saving Our Heroes Network. And, um, we've already started thinking about, you know, what does the website look like? Um, you know, getting, getting information about who we are, uh, where, where the people that make up the board, uh, how how does that apply to them? You know, where, where are they coming from? Um, what tools would be available? What events would be coming up? The other thing we talked a lot about, uh, was how can we maybe, because we wouldn't have the established, um, uh, maybe confidence in the organization at this point, just getting started. How can we piggyback on to existing well, well uh, delineated organizations that are already out there? And maybe some of the things that we would do initially would be to help them fund their, their cause. And then as we grow, have it be more of an individual thing on our part. Yeah. So this is, this is, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're in the formative stages. I mean, we, we're, we're walking or crawling right now as we try to figure this out and all of us have the right mindset that we think it's a good thing and we want to do it. And like you said, if it helps one person, then it'll be worth our effort. Right. Yeah. Well, you guys got my platform, so you need to help get your message out. Nice. I can put some stuff out there. Nice. Um, It's not the biggest platform in the world, but doesn't matter. It's it's, you're not starting from scratch. So you know what I mean. Right. Um, I always people send stuff all the time. They're like, "Hey, do you mind if I post this?" I'm go for it. Right. As long as it's not something immoral or unethical, go for it. Right. I don't do politics and good. And, and I don't do religion. Good for so, you. Yeah, I don't do either of those two things. Um, if you want to come on and, you know, you know, and, you know, God's blessed me or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fine. Sure. I, I, everybody's got their own belief, but yeah, I, I don't, this is not, this, this show platform is not for conflict necessarily. It's to, to, to bridge gaps. So I, I learned at a very early age, don't uh, have discussions about religion or politics. No. And I, I've adhered to that throughout no. my entire life. And don't let people borrow money. Don't let people borrow money. No. Yeah. What is it? The memory of the, the memory of the borrower doesn't exceed the memory of the lender. Yeah. <laughs> Something like yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, if if yeah. I got family or friends that are asking to yeah. borrow money, I'm like, how much do you need? Okay. I'm going to gift you this if mm-hmm. full amount half amount quarter amount doesn't matter yeah. i'm gonna gift you this like yeah. i don't need the money back and there you then, go then you have no issues yeah later in life that's so, good that's a good way to do yeah. it 
because uh, I've seen I've seen it happen within my own family. You know, sure. lending of money. Sure, just like sure. It's, it's even like, even the people that lended the money, like afterwards, like when that person's away, they're like, "That's probably a bad idea. It's gonna yeah. cause." And <laughs> sure, sure, yeah. it does end up causing issues. But um, all right. So, do you want to do you want to promote your school at all? I mean, are you hurting for students? No, we're not hurting for students. But it's always um, good to have more, right? Yeah. Uh, the name of the school is Dallas-Fort Worth Yukundo. We're actually in Hearst on Pipeline. and so um, that's false advertisement right off the bat? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? Yeah, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I know yeah. Hearst is surrounded by all of these areas. So. You know, uh, I think the best way to build a school is word of mouth, but I think that's the best way in any business. You can yeah. you can do all the advertising you want in the world, yep. but I think people that are, are happy with your service Services, people that think that your heart's in the right place are going to tell people about you. Yeah, and and uh, I I used to allow people to come in and you know come in for a period of time and, and check it out. I started to realize that when I heard people saying to me, like I'd ask, "How'd you find out about our school?" And they they would say, "Well, you know, I went down to this place down the road." And I just didn't really get a good feel. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, I, you know, I walked in there. They told me when the classes were, how much they were, and they asked me when I wanted to sign up. And I knew that I did not want to run a school like that. Mm -hmm. So I started to require every student that had an interest in the school, whatever, whether it's law enforcement, whether it's uh, the fighting on the ground, whether it's Kali, whether it's striking, whatever, to have an interview. And I think there's two really, really important reasons for this. Number one, a lot of people pursue martial arts because of courage, confidence, and clarity issues in their life. And if you get to talking to them and you learn their story, you start to realize how accurate that is. Yeah. The second thing is it gives me a real good feel for the energy of the person. So if somebody comes in and you know, they're, they're bad mouthing people, or I look at them up on Facebook and, you know, obviously it's, it's not somebody that I want to align with. Yeah. It makes it really, really easy to ferret that out. Yeah. And when you, I, I, I usually spend a minimum of an hour talking to somebody, when you sit down and have an hour conversation, you learn a lot, you learn a lot about them. They learn some about you. Um, and for sure in the course of that conversation, often people through opening up and feeling like they have somebody that they can confide in yeah. will start to share why they are there. And it is, it is a lot of times because of the, one of those three things I mentioned. Yeah. And that's what I tell people about this. They're like, man, your show's so long. Like, dude, just, you should, you should cut it into portions or you should do this. You should do that. And like, listen, the most important thing for me is I have conversations daily. Like that's part of my job. I know how to talk to people mm -hmm. and I'm a bullshit reader. Like, that's just my job. Yep. Like, I, I figured that out, you know. I, I can, and I'm not 100%, but I'm damn close. Yeah. And uh, when you get to, like, you come on here and we're talking, you know, we're we're at an hour and 20 minutes already. So, you, if you came in here and you were fake, it, it's easy to be fake for 10, 20 minutes, I guess. But for an hour, for two hours? Sometimes three hours might be tough. It, you can't fake your personality, and then right. we're really going to get to the meat and potatoes of who you are, and you know, and that's one of the important parts. Is like I want people to to buy into you, 
whether it's good or bad, but it's you. It's not this this fake personality. So the same with what you're doing is like, yeah, it's cool. You can come in, sit down and say for 10 minutes, you know, why'd you pick us? What'd you come here for? And they're going to give you some BS and you'll be out the door and they'll be in your school the next day. Yeah. And then they're screwing with the mojo of the students later on. Mm-hmm. Um, or you can have, you can take the time and really vet because they're vetting you. Why not vet your students? Yeah. You know, it's going to make you a better instructor to them because now you know their background, you know, okay, he's got a little training and, you know, he's kind of got this eagerness to him. Like I can see the the wheels turning or are you going to get this next one? He's like, all right, he's dumb as a box of rocks and he's just looking to work out. Yeah. So, okay, now I know what I got to do. <laughs> yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. So I, I think that's yeah, smart. Not and, many people do that. And, you know, it's it's amazing some of the, the stories that you hear. Yeah. It, it, it is it really uh, almost tear jerking sometimes when, oh, yeah, when you're sitting across from somebody and they're they're opening up because, you know, everybody has a timeline and your timeline is different than my timeline. But those events and those stories and those happenings along those timelines are tied in with emotions. And sometimes those emotions don't go away. Yeah, they're, they're stuffed. They're stuffed here. And so people that have not ever experienced how to deal with that, they're they're on this merry go round. And they never, ever resolve the, the fear, the anxiety, the shame, the hurt, the anger, because they haven't figured out a way to deal with it. Yeah. And so if martial arts is a vehicle to help that person deal with it, then that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And it's, you very rarely, it does happen. I won't say it never happens, but a trained martial artist, and then like you said, could be any, you don't hear of a lot of problems with those people. And they're generally good people. Right. Yeah. Um, you, you know, I, I tell people, they're like, oh, man, I bet you kick ass when you, you're doing your police work. I'm like, since I got trained, mm-hmm. I very rarely ever run across any situations that yeah have happened to me. Now, I've had situations a lot where you run in and you're trying to help another officer because they're into something. But to me, it, it doesn't happen. I don't know if it's the way I carry myself. I don't know if it's... Um, the what the things I say, I, I don't know what it is, but I can tell you the people that I know I would never mess with. It's those two things. It's the way they talk and the way they carry themselves. I'm like, you know, I can look at, I can look at you and I already know just the way you walked up here, your posture, it, it, you can handle himself. Like you can see it. It's hard to, it's hard to describe. And if you don't train, it's not necessarily something you're going to cue in on. Um, but through the course of my job, you know, I can look at people. I'm like, all right, this dude could be a problem <laughs> for me. Right. Uh, don't want to get too close or, you know, um, or vice versa. You know, they're, they're so big. Like I don't want to be at range. So I got to get in real close cause I don't <laughs> want their power to hit me. So, um, yeah, there's just certain aspects that you start to pick up and develop as you go. And I'm not preaching in the choir, you know this, but yeah. for anybody else, sure, sure. But, um, okay. So how long has your school been open? I'm just curious. So let's see, California 2010 came back uh, from California, opened it up. So uh, coming up on 12 years. Nice. Yeah. Dang. And then the building that we're in, we purchased that building in 2014. So been been on pipeline there uh, since 2014. Nice. Do you guys do anything out in the communities or anything like that? Or is it strictly 
No, um, yeah, I, I say no. We do uh, free women self defense seminars. We've done oh, that cool. before. Yeah. I've done some free law enforcement seminars, so that would be a, a way of reaching out from from a community standpoint. Yeah, um, uh, we have uh, occasional fight night, and we'll open it up to students, families, and things of that nature, okay. where they can come and and uh, you know watch a UFC fight at the school and Very cool. interact and yeah. and that sort of thing. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I bring it up because. The, the schools that I see that really make it and, and kill it is is just for those reasons. They, mm-hmm. they do the little extra things. You know, you have a fight night, you know, put up on the projector, whatever sure. it is. Or you have, um, you know, a, a car wash, you know, whatever. It gets people, you're getting word of mouth out there. The students are learning, you know, especially the younger students are learning how to talk to people and stuff like that. Yeah. Because to me, martial arts is more than than just especially for kids it's it's more than just you know learning how to defend yourself there's you're you're trying to teach them how to you know socially what is the word uh have social skills and and things that you know because he's a kid you don't i was was the worst like you'd you'd think i was a talker as a kid i was pretty shy (laughs) um and it was martial arts that kind of opened that up for me um my dad is a judo black belt um nice he's nationally ranked for yeah i think he's god i don't know my own dad's age i think he's like 58 59 59 i think he's 59 he's young yeah youngster (laughs) so yeah he's 59 uh yeah i always tell him he was a sinner him and my mom had me real young so (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh, so um but yeah he's a black belt in judo and just having that that uh resource you know i didn't want to do what he did mm-hmm. i wanted to do something different but i guarantee you got some information oh, from man him. Yeah. yeah judo was yeah. there's nothing like you know dealing with a bully and yeah the next thing they know they're looking up at the sky and hip throwing yeah, them. yeah yeah oh man <laughs> yeah and that was a huge confidence booster for a shy kid yeah. so um but learning how to how to talk, yes sir, no sirs, and stuff exactly. like that. Because um, my dad lived down here. I grew up with my mom in Michigan. They never married. So it, you know, and then my stepdad, great guy. You know, yeah, I, I would I say I'm lucky I had two dads, you know, and uh, but he worked second shift, so I didn't see him a whole lot either. And he wasn't an athlete or into that stuff. Um, he had, he was older, um, arthritis ridden type stuff so it just it, like that aspect of things never i didn't get that so the the talking to people and and whatnot i had to learn it somewhere yeah we we focus on this in the kids program you know i said anybody can teach you how to punch and kick it's, yeah. that's not you know my goal you can go on youtube right but to give them confidence like a a kid a new kid that comes into the school they have to stand up front with me every child that is current student has to go up look at my in the eye shake their hand introduce themselves and then the new student has to respond hi my name is and then you know fill in the blank Uh this is the very very first step to them understanding you know what what am i going to get out of this program yeah that's cool yeah yeah do you do that with the adults too no, it's more making sure that you introduce yourself. Don't have somebody, you know, walking around here figuring out, trying to figure out where to put their stuff, where the bathrooms are. You know, you need right. to take the initiative when they walk in the front door and, and greet them and, and make them feel welcome. Yeah. Do you because, guys wear... Uh, no. 
Nothing, just uh, grappling stuff? Yeah, so if you look at Jeet Kune Do, it's a street art. So, you know, we want them what they're going to have on in the street. So uh, yeah. we, we don't. And the ground fighting that we do is pretty much ground fighting for the street. And so in incorporating some of the things like weapons. And so it's 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 no gi. Yeah. Do yeah. you have any shock knives? We do. Those are the shit, aren't they? Yeah, in fact, I was just using one the other day. Oh, man. Nothing will get my heart going quicker than a shock knife. I get my heart very goes faster with a shock knife than yeah. a real knife. Yeah. <laughs> I hate those things. Yeah. And as an instructor, we were the worst. Because with other instructors, you know, yeah. where I was oh, yeah. at, we had like five, six, seven, ten. I think we almost had ten instructors, right? And we knew shock knife was coming up in the training that we start working with that and yeah. they're standing there talking some, on their cell some people are, are really hyper uh, about the effect of it you know yeah. they, they 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 can't get over the the uh, psychological component of it yeah. or you've deployed it and it still has that little charge and you come up and zap them and it kind yeah. of <laughs> gets rid of that little, yeah. little bit yeah. of juice yeah. what was that you know oh yeah that's yeah. what i was saying we would get instructors all the time in the back of their arms when mm -hmm. they're sitting on their cell phone standing right. off the side of the mat or whatever you right. know I'm like, pay attention. <laughs> but it is a way to functionalize it. You know, we we uh, put very little emphasis on, on knife takeaways because, you know, it's like putting your hand in a blender and turning the blender oh, on. Yeah. You know, run if you can. And, and then there's a, a system that we pretty much steal from Filipino martial arts that we have Those guys in our got system. It down. They got it down. Oh, they, man. They, they, they got it down. But um, there's going to be times where either because of uh, somebody you don't want to leave, you're not going to leave your wife when somebody's wielding a knife. And, and you're not going to just, you know, run and leave her or space limitation, you know, where you may have to to fight with somebody and right. secure a knife. But there's a different element when that is no longer a training blade and it becomes a shock knife. Yeah, it, it makes it a little bit more real. It is weird <laughs> yeah. how that works. Yeah. Yeah. yeah kind of ramps it up a little it bit. It does. Stress inoculates them a little oh. bit. Man, I still, like I said, I'm used to it. Like I've turned it up to the highest settings. Yeah. And I, you know, I've got myself just trying to inoculate myself you know yeah. basically get used to it and uh i can say now confidently like in the heat of it i'm fine with it but yeah. when i hear you shocking that thing over you know in the next room yeah. preparing it i'm like yeah. oh, shit yeah here it comes do. again yeah. it's just like dealing with the paint rounds you know yeah. uh the sim rounds um yeah. man those things you guys use it in for and uh, academy yeah 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 for sure it's it is yeah they're they're we have probably 10 or 15 of those That's shock cool. knives. Um, we have uh, the SIM guns. Yeah. Um, we got, I'm, I'm lucky, man. Just the, my department has, has everything. So, yeah. and that's why I try to tell, I call them purist. The ones that only know our Academy. Right. And, you know, I came from another agency. Okay. And, 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 a, you know, I'm an air force cop as well. So I went through that okay. police Academy. So I, you know, three academies under my belt and then being an instructor, I've gone to other academies mm -hmm. and, and things of that nature. So I try to tell these guys, I'm like, listen, you have no idea what you have. You, you think you do, but you don't, you've no idea. I mean, I, I was training in basically abandoned buildings because that's all we had available. I've went to other places where these guys are training in the driveway of their academy that is, you know, a, a three room building. And yeah. It's tiny. Yeah. And we're out in the driveway. Yep. I'm like, that's all we got. Different you know, environment. We're out. We went to the park. <laughs> we had to go to a park. I, I'm looking at the guys that I work with. I'm like, you wouldn't even show up to this. You wouldn't, yeah. you know, like, oh, I got to be outside. What is this? You know, I should be in our, you know, 4,000 foot 
padded room that we have, you know, we've got basically a warehouse that is the walls and the floor, you know, have uh, Olympic grade padding. I mean, just it's all removable. You can take it up. Oh, it's beautiful. The the biggest problem is cleaning. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because even when, well, if we have a full academy class, which is like 60, that, that place is packed, you know, it's with good distance still. It's a big class. It's a big class. Um, so we try to try to keep it a minimum of 10 students per one instructor, which mm-hmm. is still stretching it yeah. in my opinion, safety wise. Um, yeah. but, uh, yeah, that's a lot of real estate being taken up. So, but it, it classes typically aren't 60 or, you know. 40 it's nice to have that facility though. oh it it's, like it's so great yeah, yeah. like and it's great too like there's so many you know practitioners mm-hmm. whether it's wrestling karate whatever it is i you know if you worked with me you, or you don't even have to i got the access you and i we can go up we got mats 24 7 access so cool yeah yeah i'm big into that but um all right brother well you got so you got your uh keet jundo You've got the, am I saying it right? Jeet Kundo. Kundo, yeah. I hear a lot of yeah. variations. Jeet Kundo, Jeet Kundo. I mess up jujitsu all the time. I yeah. just like BJJ. There BJJ. That's what I say. So <laughs> super easy. Um, and then uh, your your program is called Helping, what was it again? Saving Our Heroes Network. Saving Our Heroes. Right. I'm going to write that down. So Saving Our Heroes Network. Heroes. And the word network is in there too? Correct. Okay. I'll make sure I plug that and get... Uh, assuming, assuming somebody doesn't uh, oust it, you know, we've 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 got the name as it stands right now. Oh, but, okay. Yeah, I, so, didn't, I did the But we don't time. have a website yet, you know, we're, like we said, we're just getting, get, just getting rolling. Very cool. Um, and then Charles, he's a part of the, the Blue is. Voice and um, all that, and it's all geared toward PTSD and... Yeah. and, and um, he's got a huge following. He does. I mean, I, he was telling me of staggering numbers. Yeah. <laughs> I was surprised. Like he's, yeah. he's plugged a couple of the stuff for me. Yeah. Um, and just my numbers jumped yeah. a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, not anything near what he's got. Homeboy's killing it. So, but, uh, yeah, I want to get, I want to get him on here and get more exposure to his stuff because like I said, he's, he, it seems like that you can never fill that cup when it comes to the mental health. Side. He, would, he would be a great, a great, uh, podcast. You think so? I, I really do. Yeah. yeah. He, he he brings a wealth of information, but also a tremendous amount of experience. And, okay. you know, it's easy to talk about something, and, and he, he can talk about it from personal experience. Yeah. So. Well, he vouched for you, so and I good. trust him enough. So when he he's like, yeah, I got a good duty. I was like, all right, man. Yeah, we'll get it going. I, I think he was right. I think, you know, we're at an hour 30 right now. Man, I appreciate the opportunity. I thought it was and, a great podcast. Uh, thanks. Yeah. I, uh, I'm, I'm real happy you're doing this because, like we said, if, if one person benefits from it, then it makes all of your effort worthwhile. I agree. And um, so thank thank you for, for starting it. Not a problem. Appreciate um, it. And if you ever want to come back on, brother, like, Sounds obviously, good. if you got a new message or you want to reemphasize the old one, I don't care. Sounds good. We'll make it work. All right, brother. Thanks, appreciate man. it, man. You bet. Take it easy. Thanks.